You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. How is everyone? Good. Can you believe that next weekend we're already going to be in Advent season? Isn't that crazy? It seems to have come quickly and yet not quickly. You know what I mean? Like this, this pandemic has made time feel really weird. Uh, anyways, I'm looking forward to Christmas time and celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with you all. Hopefully you're looking forward to that as well. It's going to be good. Um, we're doing a Christmas series called Given to Us. And it's based on Isaiah, a son is given to us, so uh, it's going to be great. And um, on that end, one thing I think we can all acknowledge about Christmas time these days is that it's really become very materialistic and consumeristic in nature, uh, right? You can agree with me on that, right? It's, uh, and, th- and that's just a direct causation or reflection of what we value as a society. And so I think you'll find that our passage from Luke this morning, which is all about money and possessions will be incredibly timely for us, especially as we enter into this Christmas season. So if you want to turn with me to Luke 12, we're going to be starting at verse 13 and going all the way to 34. So Luke 12, 13 to 34. And uh, you might remember from last week, there was a big crowd that had um, been trampling over each other to see Jesus. And uh, Jesus used that opportunity to address his disciples, to talk about the fear of man, and uh, to fear God and not man. And, um, and then finally, he turns to, his, turns to the crowd and addresses a person in the crowd here. And so this is what happens. Luke 12, 13 to 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. And then he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. 
They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this coming Friday is Black Friday, right? And being the the half Scottish man that I am, getting a really good deal on my purchases brings me great delight. Um, So this is a weekend I, I do look forward to all year to do my Christmas shopping. Unfortunately, though, I'm also half Dutch, which means that when it comes to choosing between spending money on a good deal or saving my money, I'm, I'm constantly torn. Like, I'm, I'm seriously torn. Um, and, and so because of this tension that I have, and, and even though stuff might be on sale, I still feel like it's all way too overpriced. And, and it's just a ripoff still, which means that I find it difficult to actually buy anything at all, preferring to keep my money safe in, in my savings account to wait for an even better deal, only to find that while I'm um, debating about this in my head, my wife will just go ahead and, and buy all this stuff anyways. So (laughs) that's just a little glimpse into the complicated relationship that I have with finances and buying things and saving money. But the truth is every single one of us, every single one of us has some type of relationship with money and possessions. And and there's there's a bunch of reasons for that relationship. Maybe you grew up poor, maybe you grew up rich and and your parents all they cared about was money, so you hate money or you grew up poor and and so now you just hoard money. Like there's a whole bunch of reasons that you might have a relationship the type of relationship you have with money, but everyone has one, right? And, and like mine, it's usually a complicated one, and at times it can certainly be an unhealthy or unsatisfying and even anxiety-inducing one, right? Uh, in other words, we can all relate to and learn from Jesus in this passage since we all deal in economics. Because whether we like it or not, we need money, right? We need money to survive. It's part of the fabric of our society, Uh, We need money and goods to survive, right? We need food. We need clothing, right? Though our society, just as the Christmas season exemplifies, is also, as I've said, extremely materialistic and consumeristic, uh, proving that we've placed much value and, and, and much status on having things, right, and fulfilling our wants. And so as we live in this society... Even as Christians, it's hard not to be influenced by it and by its American dream, as they call it, right? And so one could use the the biblical phrasing here to say that most people, even from the most wealthy to the most poor, are slaves to money and materialism in some sense of the meaning. We just don't often realize it, and we definitely don't like to admit it. There's a reason that greed is one of the most talked about sins in the Bible, 
And yet I think we often tend to ignore the warnings as if they don't apply to us, right? We think these messages are only for the rich and famous, for the Elon Musks or the Hiltons or, or whoever, right? But, but greed, which is often referred to in Scripture as idolatry or love of money, can manifest itself in many forms. And Jesus actually touches on the two extremes in this passage, right? He says uh, that there's a greed manifests itself as a false sense of security and pride in having lots of money, but on the flip side, having covetousness or anxiety and not having enough. So regardless of what our financial status is, if the desire for more money and the amount of our possessions is the driving force which influences our attitude, our emotions, our self-esteem, our relationships, our view of God, and our, and or our purpose in life, then make no mistake, we are slaves to it. But Jesus wants to set us free. Because, as he'll proclaim later in, in Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. If, if we just stop there, most of us would probably assume that the two masters would be either Jesus or Satan, right? No, but he doesn't say that. He says, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. So who are we devoted to? Who are we serving? Here's where we often go a little bit wrong, though. There's always this pendulum, right? And if we're over here, we think, oh, this is terrible. And then so all all of a sudden we swing way over here, right, to compensate. We do that with with so many things, especially when it comes to sins and things like that. So we read Jesus' rebukes about money, and we tend to think, oh, okay, having lots of money is wrong, and so we swing all the way over here, and we we think all money must be the root of all evil, and so so we should all become monks and live in poverty so that we can be more holy. But that isn't the case at all. And while money can definitely be a root of evil, which Jesus says, and yes, it is often the source of hate and wars and dissension and stress and broken relationships. But still, it's not inherently evil in and of itself. And so before we go any further, we need to adjust or verify our our thinking about money, have a balanced approach here, uh, by first of all highlighting the fact that on the morality scale, money in and of itself is neutral. It's neutral. It can be used for bad, but it can also be used for good. Right? When we give to the poor and help the needy. It can be used for good. It can be detrimental or it can be beneficial, depending on our hearts, right? On, 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 On how and why we have it and what we do with it. Which means it's not necessarily a sin or sinful to have possessions or to be successful and, and to be rich. And neither is it a sin to be poor and without. In the same vein, the amount we have is not a measure of our spirituality or God's favor over us. We need to highlight that fact. The amount we have is not a measure of our spirituality or God's favor over us, which many Pharisees often thought, which is called the prosperity gospel, if you do believe that. The truth is that God loves us regardless of our financial status, and he's with us, and he cares for us in much and in little which is why the Apostle Paul says he's able to abound with either. 
He's able to abound with much or with little. The main issue then is concerning our motivation and our attitude, our heart, towards our wealth and possessions, or lack thereof, especially as it relates to how we serve God and how we serve others. As Doug Lynham writes, excessive self-interest or greed is very dangerous, especially when it harms others. But that doesn't mean that wealth is evil. Wealth is just a tool to express our values. So we should respect money, be mindful of money, be grateful for the blessings it brings, and use it in the service of others. That's a great book from Monk to Money Manager. I recommend it. This guy, this, this guy his parents are rich, and they had a divorce over money, and so he hated money, and so he became a monk. <laughs> and... Uh, to get away from money, only to find that the monastery was in deep debt and he had to help them get out of debt. And uh, you deal with money, right? And so he actually became a money manager. And so he has a really good perspective on money, biblical perspective. Anyways, I like how he writes that wealth is a tool to express our values. It's a tool to express our values. Another way I've seen it put is that your wealth expresses the movement of your heart. Jesus, of course, says it best from verse 34, Luke 12, 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's kind of the underlying theme of this whole passage. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our heart follows our treasure. We invest in and we live for what we value. We invest in and we live for what we value. On that note, and, and I think I learned this tip years ago from, from a Timothy Keller message on finances and greed, and I think I've shared this before, but, but a good practical indicator for the state of our heart is our monthly financial statement. It, it doesn't give us the full picture, obviously, but yet how we handle our money and, and what we spend it on, again, whether we have a lot or whether we have a little, it can give us a good glimpse into both our relationship with finances and into who or what we actually value. Take a look at that, and, and you'll see what you invest in, what you invest on. Ultimately, though, we should be honest, and we should be aware of our relationship with it, and in a sense, we should be on guard. Because again, greed, whether in the form of pride and selfish gain or in the forms of worry or covetousness, it, it often has a way of creeping in and becoming our master, doesn't it? And it affects our life, and affects our emotions, and affects our attitude. And, and this is basically the warning for that man in the crowd from our passage this morning. Right, right after he asks Jesus to, to judge in his favor concerning an inheritance dispute with his brother. So supposedly, on that note, supposedly it was common back then for rabbis or scribes to uh, help settle disputes like this for people. But Jesus we know, was more than a rabbi, right? He was the Messiah. And so while he declined to settle the dispute, saying he wasn't their, their judge or arbiter in this matter, he still took the opportunity to speak directly into the true heart of the matter, as he always does. Because, and as we spoke about last week, and, and we always remind ourselves of this, that he will come again as the final judge and arbiter of our souls one day but not based on our financial success and how much stuff we have, but solely on the state of our heart and our faithfulness to God. And so he tells this man, and probably his brother, who would have been in, in attendance as well, because you can't 
have an arbitration without both parties, right? So we can assume he would have been present. So he tells both of them, Luke 12, 15, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We should all write this verse on our, on our mirrors in the morning. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Remember, we, we tend to think God's warnings are for the rich only, but, but this man who Jesus is speaking to isn't rich, right? He wants to be. He's coveting. He's coveting that inheritance that we're assuming his older brother received, because that's how it worked. He wants Jesus to get him half that inheritance. And yet Jesus is speaking to him, and yes, also probably to his brother who received it, He's speaking to both of them. In other words, he's speaking to everyone on the financial scale, to both those who have and those who don't, saying, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Your worth is not based on what you own. Or as Charles Albert writes, Jesus says that what a person is cannot be confused with what a person has. What a person is cannot be confused with what a person has. Life is having, life is more than having things and money. Some of the most joyful people on the planet live in third world countries because they know Jesus and are satisfied in him and they know where their true treasure is. They know what life truly is. As Jesus Prayed in John 17, he says that life is to know God and to know the Son whom he sent. That's true life, to have a relationship with God. And so Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the soul and give us that lasting joy, that true life. On the flip side of that, some of the most unhappy people in the world live in Western first world countries simply because they're not satisfied with the crazy amount of wealth and blessings they already have in comparison to everyone else in the world. And so they want more. They always want more. They want as much as their neighbor, or they want more than their neighbor, which is the very definition of covetousness. But again, those who fall into that trap will only find they never have enough. I think three or four years ago, I, I brought up a stat that... that uh, you know, a bunch of North Americans were, were, were uh, polled or whatever, and, and a large majority of them said that they would be happier with just 10% more than what they had. And this is everyone on, every, on the financial scale. The rich said, oh, we'd be happier with just 10% more. The poor said, well, we would just be happier with 10% more. The middle class said, we'd be happy with just 10% more. And so we tell ourselves that we'll be happy with just a little bit more. But once we get it, we tell ourselves that we'll be happy with just a little bit more. And then once we get it, we tell ourselves that we'll be happy with just a little bit more. It's a trap. It's an illusion and a lie of satisfaction that only destroys our soul. And the Bible isn't surprised by this. 1 Timothy 6.9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Furthermore, this way of living, Jesus tells us, is all in vain. It's foolish, he says. God calls that man a fool, right? Which, which is a, 
that vanity, that foolishness is, a, is reminiscent of the book of Ecclesiastes. And so Jesus tells us this, though, in the form of a parable in which a wealthy farmer's ground gives him a very good crop. First of all, notice how he got the good crop. The ground gave him the good crop, right? His crop was a blessing from creation and thus from the creator. But he doesn't recognize that, does he? We read that the man concludes that it's all his and it's all for him. Because what does he do with this enormous crop? He tears down his barns and he builds a new ones so that he can have enough room to store it all up for himself. And then once he does that, he tells his soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. So relax, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, he thinks his soul's satisfaction and security and joy rests in his things. But again, what does God have to say about it? Luke 12, 20 to 21. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? It's a rhetorical question, not his, right? And then it says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Notice that the, the issue is not that this man was wealthy. The issue is not that, that, that he had a good crop. The issue is that this man stored it all up for himself with no thought of God or anyone else. And then he placed his hope and trust in it. As Warren Wearsby writes, it is not wrong to own things so long as things don't own us. The issue is his greed and his self-interest and his idolatry. And in the end, we find that he's only gained the world at the sake of his soul. He dies before he can do anything with it. Which is why God calls this foolishness. It's, it's vanity, because you can't take any of your stuff with you when you die. And more importantly, your soul will not be judged by the size of your bank account or by how many toys you have. His abundance lied to him. It told him he was secure and that his soul would be satisfied in it. But his soul couldn't take any of it with him. Stuff cannot fulfill your life, and stuff definitely cannot save your life. And so again, life is not found or gained or defined by the abundance of possessions or money. In fact, life is lost when it becomes our focus and desire. As Jesus will expound on next, for he also says that worrying about our possessions cannot add a single hour to our life. Instead, he says, don't worry. Trust in God for all that you need. He'll provide. Of course, this doesn't mean we sit around waiting for manna to fall from heaven, right? But it means that, that as we seek him first and we desire to build our treasure in heaven and bless others through what he's given us, he'll provide the means and the opportunities and the blessings and the strength and joy and the grace we need to live. Let, let's, let's just read it again, what he says. It's pretty straightforward. Luke 12, 22 to 31. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. 
of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom. You know, having, having enough money and, and food and, and clothing and all that stuff is definitely a common source of worry. In fact, since the beginning of the pandemic, the number of people who have anxiety about these basic needs has gone up by a large percentage, as we know. But Jesus is reminding us that, that, that we can and should take our feelings of anxiety and our worry to God lay them at his feet, right? That as we trust in him and as we seek to live for him, that we'll never be without. He knows what we need. For even God ensures that the ravens eat. They don't have a savings account, and yet the ravens eat. And, and the grass grows and the flowers bloom. And so, of course, God will provide for his children who are worth more to him. And it doesn't say he'll make us filthy rich, but it does say we'll always have what we need, our daily bread, which is what Jesus teaches us to pray for, right? Our daily bread, to rely on God each and every day, to seek his kingdom first. And this perspective and this trust in God will also allow us to realize that everything we have is actually a gift from God and is therefore meant to fill our hearts with thanksgiving and to be used for his glory. Ultimately, Jesus wants us to get to that place of freedom and trust where we can recognize that life is not about money or possessions, and neither is it about food or clothing, but that first and foremost, it's about having a deep and eternal relationship with God, which includes placing our current needs in his loving hands and storing up our treasures in heaven where it can't be stolen or destroyed. Life is about being rich toward God and being rich in God. And so, so what does that look like? What does it actually mean to be rich toward God and to store up our treasure in heaven? Well, Jesus tells us, Luke 12, 32 to 34, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom is yours. That's your inheritance in Jesus, the kingdom of God. And then he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So when we have that, that confidence that our full inheritance through Christ is waiting for us in eternity and that everything we've been given is from God and that he'll provide for us, this should give us the freedom today 
to be generous with all that we've been given. That's what it means to, to build our treasure in heaven, is to be generous with that which we have today for his glory. Right? Though, though, again, if, if we think this, this life is all there is, if we think there's no resurrection, if we think this life is all there is, then we'll be tempted to hoard what we have for ourselves, for our safety net. Right? And we'll also covet what others have. We'll also attempt to, to control whatever we think we can and, and live for our own pleasure and gain, to eat, drink, and be merry until we die. Only to actually lose our souls in the process. As Tabitianya Buile writes, show me a person who cannot give to others, and I'll show you a person who does not believe the Father gives to him. Show me a person who cannot lend, and I'll show you a person who doubts she has greater riches in the kingdom of heaven. Show me a person who cannot part with his things, and I'll show you a person who does not believe the treasures of heaven are better. It's that simple. Our life follows our treasure. So again, if we trust in God to provide for our needs, and we recognize that our treasure in heaven is what truly matters into eternity, that it's waiting for us after the resurrection, then we won't seek to live for ourselves and what we can gain in this world. Rather, we'll be free to be generous with what we've been given for the benefit of others and for the glory of God, even if that means selling some of our things to do it. And yes, as we live for God and for others, we'll still be able to enjoy the blessings that God has given us as well. That's not wrong. But the bottom line is that as God provides for us, we're meant to be his hands and feet in providing for others. We are blessed to be a blessing, as they say. Whereas Daryl Bach, theologian Daryl Bach writes, this is a long quote, but I wanted to read it because it sums up everything so well, I think. He says this, he says, Trust in God frees us to treasure the relationships that are at the center of life. To serve for the sake of God is to live. Do we value others so that we serve them in giving through service? Or do we value self and things so resources are hoarded? Jesus says, look at your treasure and what you do with it. That will show where your heart is. Since the Father gives, so should the disciple. Jesus is talking about a basic approach to life. Are we anxious and lacking trust in God, constantly trying to gain control of things that are often beyond our control? Or do we trust God to provide and concentrate on honoring relationships by pursuing righteousness and serving others with our resources? Two things tell us the answers to these questions, our heart and our pocketbook. Our heart can tell us if we are anxious, and our pocketbook can tell us if we are generous. Both tell us if we are trusting God. If God the Father, through Jesus the Son, is our treasure, our heart will be for Him and Him alone. We'll seek after Him and His kingdom, and we'll seek to live for Him and His kingdom. We'll acknowledge that all we have is from God, 
so that we can be faithful and generous and, yes, good stewards with what we've been given in a way that glorifies him and builds others up. For as it says in Acts, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is what it means to be rich towards God. This is what it means to live our lives as citizens of the kingdom of God and build our treasures in heaven, which, of course, we've been given access to and adopted into by the grace of Jesus Christ alone. All we have is a gift from God, right? And this begins with his gift of Jesus, his perfect sacrifice for our sin and his salvation and his righteousness poured out upon us and the inheritance of his kingdom, which is waiting for us. And so as we enter into this Christmas season, a season of commercialization and consumerism and materialism, let's remember that we've already been given all we need for this life and for the next. That we've been given the kingdom of God. Which means with his kingdom in focus, we don't have to worry about not having enough. We don't have to covet what other people have. We don't have to hoard the things that we have. Instead, we can give and we can serve, and we could be generous to others with grateful and joyful hearts for and from what we've already been given for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of grace, that you are a Father who knows what we need. Before we even know what we need, you know what we need, Lord. And ultimately, you knew that we needed Jesus. And so you sent your one and only begotten Son to save us, to rescue us from our sin, to cover us in his righteousness, to adopt us into your kingdom, into your family, into into the inheritance that belonged to Jesus. We get to share in that. Lord, so fill our hearts with thanksgiving for what you've already given to us. Lord, help us to recognize that anything that we have, that anything that we've had, that the things that you will give us in the future, Lord, all these things are blessings that come from you, the Father of lights. That you give good gifts to your children, and not just for us alone, Lord God, but to, but to, to bless others. Lord, as we recognize that we have all we need, help us to be generous with what you've given us, to be faithful with little or faithful with much, Lord. And that you would be glorified in our generosity. And that lives would be changed through our generosity. And that your love and your grace and your mercy and your gospel would be made known in the midst of our generosity, Lord. Lord, help us to think of you and others before ourselves, just as Jesus did for us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.